Amen. It's good to praise the Lord. Amen. It's good to rejoice in Him. It's good to be here with you this morning. Some of you have asked me, what is it that I'm wearing? Well, it's called a baron. It's uh, from the Philippines. Uh, it's the kind of thing you wear like to a wedding. And I just want you to know as I'm thinking about Calvary and what it means to me that Calvary has made part of my heart be Filipino. And so that's why I'm wearing that today. But, <laughs> but today is a special day. Pastor Eli is going to bring the message of God's word here in a few minutes. He's already shared the message in the 930 service, and I know that God used him and that he has a word for you today. But it's also a very special day because we have a special guest. Dr. Fernando Abella is with us. A couple of weeks ago, the search committee for the pastor for uh, Spanish language discipleship here at Calvary uh, recommended that Dr. Fernando Abella would be our candidate for that role. And so he is here. He is currently serving at West Conroe Baptist Church where he leads the Spanish ministry there. He served before as pastor in Orlando, Florida. He and his wife, Claudia, who's here with us, uh, have served in the, yeah, yeah. Um, They've served as church planters in the Dominican Republic. He's originally from Cuba. He went to Rio Grande Bible Institute here in Edinburgh, and I think that has something, hey, there's some RGBI people here, uh, something to do with, with his wife. Uh, then he went on to get his education at Dallas Theological Seminary, where he got a master's and a doctorate. He has a master's from Liberty University, and he's finishing up his PhD at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Ecclesiology, and we're blessed to have him here today. I've asked him to share his testimony of how he came to know Christ, and uh, he'll do that, and after he does, Eli will come and bring the message. Brother, thank you for being here. God bless you. Thank you. Uh, good morning. Buenos dias. Well, let me share a little bit about my testimony. Um, like the pastor said, I was born in Cuba, and I was born three years after Fidel Castro took power. I uh, was not raised in Catholicism, but in the atheist communist philosophy. I consider myself a communist. For me, evangelicals were just a group of ignorant and fanatics. But Jesus performed a miracle just before my eyes. I have a brother who used to be a communist. He was sent to Ethiopia in the 1980s on a mission by the Cuban government. At that time, my family lived in a small town called Baracoa, about 800 miles east from Havana. The time had come for my brother to leave. Well, my father traveled to Havana with my brother. And I stayed with my mother on a small farm we owned at that time. She was extremely worried about my brother because many soldiers uh, died in that war. I remember that day. 
was a special day. My mother told me, Fernando, go to town, um, buy some groceries. Well, that's what I did. When I returned to the farm, it was very late. And my mother was extremely angry with me because of the delay. However, she was acting like a person who was out of her mind. To the point that she went to the kitchen, grabbed a knife about this big to kill me. Still remember that she was um, standing on the porch of the house. I tried to come in to take the knife from her. Then she said, if you come in, I'm going to kill you. When I tried the back door of the house, I got the same threat. However, I was able to get in without being seen and hid in the kitchen like that. From the spot that I was hiding, I was able to see her clearly, but she couldn't see me. She sat in, on, in a rocking chair on the porch, very confused. Then she said, well, if you're not coming in, then I'm going to kill myself. And from what I saw, believe me, she was determined to do it. I was in a dilemma. I couldn't get close to her, nor allow her to commit suicide in front of my eyes. I had to do something about it. Then the word God came to my mind. And I said to myself, if God exists, He's the only one who can solve this situation. Yeah, in that hiding place, for the first time in my life, I fell to my knees and prayed, God, if you exist, Take that knife out of my mother's hand and call her down. I repeated the same prayer three times. I didn't know how to pray or anything. I just remember those words. A second later, I got up. And although she couldn't see me, I saw what she did. She threw the knife aimlessly. But when it fell to the floor, it began spinning towards where I was hiding. And it stopped 
right next to my right foot. In my mind, God said to me, did you ask for this? I approached my mother and convinced her to go to bed. And guess what? Five minutes later, she was sleeping. Like that. I, I didn't believe that God is so personal. I remember that it was a dark night. I remember looking at the sky and the stars were shining bright. I told God, you exist. You maybe you understand what it means for a communist person to realize the existence of God. It was a life changing for me. I said, Lord, God, that's what I said. God, I've been wrong all my life. God destroyed, God had destroyed in one second 20 years of communist teachings. However, I said to myself, the fact that God exists puts me in trouble because I don't seek him. That's when I decided to go to the first Baptist church of Baracoa the following Sunday. I look like a hippie. <laughs> my, my long hair. My shirt and button. Like a sabroso guy. <laughs> the pastor was preaching on Job 19.25 that says, I know that my Redeemer lives. I said, yeah, he does. I met him last night. I remember that those words crossed my mind. And I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior that day. I continued to attend church. My family had been trying to leave Cuba for 20 Five years without success. I didn't know if it was God's will for me to stay or leave Cuba. I remember saying this prayer. If you give me 15 visas for my family to legally leave Cuba, I will know that is your will. In the 1980s, getting a visa was like 
having $1 million deposited into your bank account. Three months after saying that prayer, guess what? <laughs> we got a mail with 15 visas approved by the president of Costa Rica, Luis Alberto Monge. My whole family left Cuba. And once in Costa Rica, I was so grateful to God that I said, if you have done so much for me, I want to do something for you. I want to dedicate my life, the rest of my life, to serving you. And since that day, I've been serving the Lord. And it would be my pleasure to serve him among you guys. May the Lord bless you. Um, all the glory is to God, to Jesus Christ who died at the cross for us. God bless you. Praise God for all that he does. Amen. Are we blessed this morning, church? Amen. There you go. Yes, we are. Well, my name is Eli Garza. For those of you who don't know me, I serve here as the discipleship pastor to our students and to our young adults. And I'm just so excited to be with you this morning to share and, and open up God's word with you as, as we just prepare our hearts for what he has in store for us. And I've really enjoyed the series that we've been on, on, on what we believe as a church and the Baptist distinctives that we have as Baptists and talking about baptism, the priesthood. And, and last week we, we shared on, on the Lord's Supper and what that means for us. But this morning, we're going to tackle the question on what it is that we're doing right now, which is the church. What is it? Who are we? Why do we exist? Why is there such a thing as church? What does that even mean? And my hope and prayer is that as we dive into scripture, that we would see that the church is something so beautifully crafted by a God who loves us so much that he invites us to be a part of something so wonderful as we walk alongside each other and as we're connected to Jesus in order to fulfill the things that he has called us to do. Amen. Well, I want to give you a quick update before we jump into things. I know a lot of you are invested in my marriage for some reason. And, 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 and I understand why, you know, we're about to complete two years of marriage and this has become a habit of mine. But I just want to preface this. I have already spoken to my wife. I, I, I want to make sure I start prefacing these things so that you don't think that I'm just doing it behind her back because some of you think I am. But I've, spoke, I've spoken with her, so it's all good. We're all clear. And one of the things that we've been getting to know about each other over the last two years is, is the things that we enjoy about each other and the things that we don't enjoy as much. I'll put it that way. And one of the things that I love about my wife, though, is, is that she is not afraid to call me out. She's not. She'll look me straight in the eye and tell me what I'm doing wrong, tell me where I'm doing it wrong, or what I've said I was going to do and not do it, whatever it is. She'll just call me out, right? And the thing is that she does it at a time where I'm defenseless, you know? I don't have an opportunity to defend myself, and I don't have an opportunity to justify why it is that I didn't do or do or whatever it is, and, and I kind of starting to look for things of, to call her out on. But if I'm being completely honest, deep down inside, I can't be angry because 
I know that she's right, but I'll never admit that to her, right? I never will. It's not fun getting called out, you know? It's not fun being embarrassed maybe, or it's not fun actually revealing what it is that we're not doing well. Getting called out is, doesn't feel good, but here's what's interesting about the Lord is that is exactly what he's doing to us, but it is a good calling out because he is a good God. You see, he calls us out in a specific way to where we are drawn to him in new life and walking alongside what he has called us to be. In fact, if you look in the New Testament at the word church, which is ecclesia, you'll find that the literal definition of church ecclesia in the Greek means an assembly or called out once. We as a church are the ones who have been called out from where we once were into something beautiful and marvelous. In fact, one of the ways that I love that Paul writes to the churches in the different areas is instead of starting with an exhortation or corrections, he first decides to remind them of who they are and where, where they come from and who they belong to. So often we read the Bible and we'll skip over the, the first chapter because it's like the greeting and you're like, oh, I don't think this is significant. But in fact, it is so important that we see how Paul addresses the church because it is a reminder of who they are now in Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, it says this, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. The very first thing that Paul establishes is that we are all called out by God. We need to remember that what we're doing here, church, was not our idea. This is not something man-made. This is not something that we say, hey, let's, let's write some songs. Hey, let's, let's read this book and let's meet on Sunday for some reason. Let's just, no, no. This, is, this, is one, this wasn't our idea. This was all God. He is the one that has called us out to establish something for his glory. It is not a human invention, but rather God's design. It was established by a divine decree, not of human origin. Its inception is attributed to the divine plan, not the efforts of humanity. This is all about God. The foundation of the church lies in the purpose that he has established rather than our moral intentions. The church was established by him and him alone. Notice what Paul says. He doesn't say to the church of Corinth. No, he says to the church of God. You belong to God. You just so happen to be in Corinth at this time. To the church of God in Corinth. It's his design, his purpose. It was God's plan that from all eternity, before anything ever existed, he knew one day he's going to bring a group of people together. And he is going to choose them to belong to him. I don't know if you know this, but we as believers as a church belong to God because we were called out by God. Ephesians 2 tells us all about what God is planning to start doing. In verse 15, he says, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity 
out of two. And he's talking to the Jews and Gentiles, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. He is bringing together a new humanity, reconciling us to him. It was his purpose from the very beginning. And we need to trust, church, that if God is the creator of the church, then he is also the sustainer of the church. We cannot do this. There's no way that we can sustain this on our own. It's only him. And, and here's the thing. We're so afraid sometimes of things coming into the church. We don't want bad things to influence the church or enter the church. And, and we're so afraid and we're trying to, in a sense, defend ourselves. But that is not what I see in scripture. In fact, I see a promise made by Jesus that he will sustain the church with his hand. In Matthew chapter 16, the very first time Jesus ever mentions the word church, he's talking to his disciples. He tells them, hey, who do people say that I am? They tell him a bunch of names and he says, well, who do you say I am? They say, you're the Messiah. And then this is how Jesus responds in Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 17. He says this, blessed are you, Simon of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. We need to realize, church, that we're not on the defense here. We're not, we're not trying to keep things out. We're actually on the offense. We're actually called to go and be world changers through the power of the Holy Spirit. That the enemy is the one that is to be afraid, not us, because God has already claimed the victory. We already know how it ends. He is the one, the enemy is the one that is trying to disrupt what is going on here. We are not on the defense because our power, our God is too powerful. Amen. He's too mighty that the gates of hell will not prevail. We are not some fortress just hiding behind a wall. No. We have a God who is in front of us. We just sang about someone who goes before us. That's our Jesus. He has gone before us. We are advancing everything that he has entrusted us here through the power of the Holy Spirit. We will not be afraid of the culture, but we will actually be culture setters. We will go against the culture, but hear me, not in a way that we sometimes think. It's not always about going and, and yelling. And No, 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 no. In fact, Jesus calls us to love those who are brokenhearted. Those who are broken in spirit. We are to love, invite, regardless, to love our enemies. It is love that overcomes a multitude of sin. Not persuasion. Not guilt, not shame. Love. That is what we're called to do, love. That is how we advance the kingdom. That is our offensive strategy. We love. That is how we continue to understand that church is not just a Sunday for an hour. It's not just about church attendance. It's about the church living, moving, 
The church is alive. I don't know if you knew that. We are alive because of Christ. It's God's design, not ours. And we need to lean into that calling that he has for his people. We are called out by God because we belong to God. This is the church of God. And we just so happen to be in McAllen, Texas. This is the church of God. It will always be his church. And we need to be reminded, though, of the privilege and the blessing it is to even be a part of something so amazing and divine that God has given us. And Paul continues to remind the church in Corinth of, of that same truth. When you read in 1 Corinthians verse 1, uh, 2 again, he says to the church of God in Corinth, to who? To those sanctified in Christ Jesus. So he establishes first you belong to God and you, the way that you belong to God is because you have been sanctified by Jesus. You have been saved. You have been called out to new life. We, brothers and sisters, are called out of our old life into a new life. It's not just a group of random people who came together. No, it is a group that has been called and sanctified by Jesus Christ. It's important for us to remember where we once were before we came to know Jesus. Because when we remember where we once were, we would be so grateful. We will be so passionate about how we are to live out the calling that God has placed before us. Again, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. In the first chapter, he, he talks about who they were, that they were dead in their transgressions and sins, that they used to live when you follow the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now working and those who are disobedient. That's who we were. We were dead, not alive, enslaved to our sin. But Jesus has made us alive. He goes on in Ephesians chapter two, starting in verse 12, he says, remember that at, at a time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope, without God in the world. But now in your good works, sorry, no. In, in the way that you vote. No, no, no. And how much you give to the, no, that's not. How much you go to church? How many times you go? No, no, no. How, how often you serve? No, no, no. Sorry. No, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by what? Blood. The blood of Christ that was shed for us, that has cleansed us and made us clean, has given us new life. You do not just get to choose to be a part of a church. Someone had to die for that. And his name was Jesus. It wasn't your works, it wasn't how much you've attended, any churches in your life, but it was all about Jesus dying on a cross and redeeming you and saving you from yourself and calling you to a brand new life. The church is a spiritual union of those who have been saved, those who have received new life in Christ Jesus himself. We are all called to a new life. I was very blessed to grow up in a home where my parents loved me and they loved the Lord. My dad was a preacher's kid, so we were at church a lot. Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, Wednesday nights, Friday mornings, New Year's, Christmas. Every, every, every time we had a chance, we were at church. 
And so I, of course, believed that I was a follower of Christ. And so one day I'm hanging out, I'm 12 years old, mind you, and I'm hanging out with my friend after we had just played basketball and he's asking me what I'm doing on Sunday. He wants to hang out. I said, oh, I can't, I'm going to church. He gives me a look and he says, what? You're going to church? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. Like I, I go to church on Sundays and sometimes Wednesdays too. And he goes, so you're a Christian? I'm like, yeah, yeah. He goes, that's weird. I was like, why? He's like, well, you don't, you don't really sound like one or, or act like one. Excuse me? Yeah, 12 years old. And I'm thinking, what is going on? What do you mean? Like, did I, did I get this all wrong? Like, what is it about me that doesn't, doesn't, you know, show that I'm a Christian or whatever it is? And, and I came to realize that, that I was assuming that because I was part of my family and they were taking me to church and all that, that I was actually being obedient and, and being part of the church when in reality, I was just an attender. I was just someone that was going with the flow because that's just what we do. But it wasn't until the gospel pierced my heart for the first time in a real way after many years of my family praying, my parents praying over me at the age of 16 where I said, Lord, I see it now. I repent. I'm called to a new life in you. I surrender and I will give you my life so that I will receive you. And I gave my life to the Lord and I became part of the church for the first time in my life. Scripture teaches us that we are adopted into the family, that we are to lay our life down because Jesus laid his life down. And my fear is that there are so many people, maybe even in this room, who have been coming to Calvary for 80 years, 50 years, whatever it is, but yet have never tasted the sweetness of freedom that is found in Jesus. That have never actually experienced peace. Maybe you've never even been said, you know, welcomed or said hello to by someone in our church. And that pains me. Because we're called to a new life that's not just about us, but about how we relate to each other and how we love one another because of how Christ has loved us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 22 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone in him. The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. A church is a fellowship of people who have come to know Jesus and followed him. They have been baptized and they are submitting to the lordship and guidance of the Holy Spirit. This is the new life that we are being called to. This is the life that we have hope in. And I would pray that we would not waste the new life that God has given us, but that we would be good stewards of it and answer the calling that he has on our life because we're called to be his holy people. First Corinthians, again, chapter one, verse two, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. Together with all those everywhere who call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. We are called to be his holy people. We read in scripture all the time how we are the body united together in Jesus. 
Ephesians chapter 1, 22 through 23 says that God placed all things under his feet, which is Jesus, and appointed him, Jesus, to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything. We are the church. And we say this all the time. It's not a building. It's not a place. It's not a location. It's us, those of us, people, human beings who have new life, called out to new life and united in Jesus, that we would go together and share within our own communities the gospel and see how, how Jesus has redeemed us and how he has come to redeem them through kindness and grace and mercy. It's important that we are collectively a part of a big universal church all over the world that have proclaimed the name of Jesus. But here in McAllen, Texas, God has called us to Calvary to be the hands and feet, to be the body in our communities, to love and to serve. We are to do life together, not just see each other on a Sunday morning for 15 minutes. Acts chapter 2 shows us what the first disciples did, what the first church did. Starting in verse 44, he says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And what was the result of that? The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And how did they do that? By hanging out. By saying, hey, come over for dinner. Invite your friend. Hey, I heard your neighbor needs a bed. I have a bed. Can I go drop it off? Hey, I heard that this, this student's mom is in the hospital. Let's, let's go together and take them to the hospital. We do life together. We love each other. We break bread. We meet each other's needs as the church. And what happens? People come to know Jesus through the love that is overflowing in us to them. And they ask, what is going on? Why are you this? Why are you that? Well, can I tell you about Jesus? Can I tell you about how he has redeemed me? Can I tell you about how he has loved me so much that I just want to be the church everywhere I can go? Everywhere that I am, I want to be the church. Because he has called me out from my darkness into this new life to be his holy people, to be the church. We cannot continue to just think that church is on a Sunday morning. We need to continue to remember that it is something that he's planned out for us to live every single day of our life. It's not church attendance, it's church living. One of the things that is hard to do though is exactly what the church in Acts did, is break bread and hang out and meet people. After a long day on a Monday night, or a stressful morning on a Saturday morning. We just want to sleep in. Man, we've earned it this week. I don't have time to, to be with, with fellowship with other believers. No, no, I just, I'd, rather, I'd rather just be with my wife today. No, I'd rather just, whatever it may be, it's hard for us to do that. But can, can I put something to you? That if we are not attached to the body, then we are of no use to Jesus. <laughs> because it was his design from the very beginning. You know, a lot of us love Jesus. We, we know who he is. He is the head of the church. We have a relationship with him. But we struggle with Acts chapter 2 and being connected to the body. And I saw this illustration and I just thought that it was a beautiful example of how God intended for the church to be. You see, 
This is the body. This is a guitar. I love music. I love, this is my guitar. And, and, and uh, this would represent Christ as the head. And this guitar string would represent us, right? We are attached to the head. We have a relationship with him. But some of us really don't want to be attached to the body. But at this string, if it's not attached to this guitar, I can't do anything with it. I can't play a note. I can't. It's, it's useless. What am I supposed to do with this? In fact, maybe you say I'm attached to the body. Great. But in order for this to make sound, I got to put a little bit of tension. Got to start tuning the string. And now this string is getting stretched a little bit. And there's a healthy tension that is happening to where when it's at the right point, as I play a chord, a beautiful melody is being played. You see, church, if we are the body, then we need to sound like a body. We need to be united like a body because of who Christ has called us to be. And I understand. It's not easy. I understand that it can be difficult and challenging and frustrating. But let me submit to you that it is exactly what God has called us to be, and he will sustain us because he's promised that. May we be united, church. May we come to know that the church is a local body of believers who are part of a body of Christ, universal body of Christ. And because of that, we are to go and be the church by living out the calling that he has assigned every single believer. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for reminding us of what it means to be the body. We thank you, Jesus, for reminding us of what it means to be the church, that we are called out by you. This was all your plan, your idea, not ours. Lord, that we are called, Father, to be sanctified in you, to, to be redu- renewed and, and, and made new life in us, Jesus. And that we are called to be your holy people. May we submit to that. It's your name I pray. Amen.